0: Hello and welcome back to the Get Unstuck and On Target podcast. I'm Mike O'Neill with Bench Builders. We're speaking with successful business leaders to uncover tips to help you break down the barriers that are keeping you or your business stuck. Joining me today from Virginia Beach is John Holly. John, welcome. Hey, good to see you, Mike. John, I've been looking forward to spending time with you for a variety of reasons. One is, John is a master facilitator, and I have already in my time with John have picked up on a number of points that I hope I can use as a facilitator, but companies turn to John for executive team building and strategic planning sessions. Pre-COVID, this was typically done in person now everything that john does for his clients can be done virtually so let's get started john all right you've got a background that's really fascinating can you kind of give a sense of our listeners kind of what led you to the place you are right now as a master facilitator
1: i think like anything else in life uh it happened by accident completely Um, I got put in the right place at the right time or the wrong place at the wrong time for the right reasons or one of those things. And, um, very, very quickly I'll, I'll, I'll touch on it. I got in trouble in in the Navy. I had to do some kind of training for about 250, 300 people or so, and it was incredibly boring training. So I attempted to make it fun, energetic, engaging, experiential, that kind of thing. Can I stop you a
0: second? Did you say that your punishment, if you will, is that you had to go deliver something very, very boring?
1: Yeah. yeah. I I had to give a training that uh, as Navy uh, Navy nukes, so I was a surface warfare officer, nuclear surface warfare officer, um, we get over and over and over and over again to the point where Some people don't pay attention to it. Some people have been in the military, you know, long enough to understand it backwards and forwards in different languages type of thing. And so not the greatest, uh, not the greatest thing that you could do is stand in front of that, that many people and hold their attention for, for a long period of time talking about that subject. And it turns out that I, uh, I got pretty good reviews and I was like, Oh, okay, I guess I'm decent at speaking in front of people. And that iterated to the next thing, and the next thing, and so on, and so forth, and uh, obviously, there's much more to it than that, but now I'm here.
0: <laughs> you know, you said it was kind of by accident, but in looking back, do you sense that that kind of was part of you're doing what you need to be doing? You're using your skills well?
1: You know, I, I absolutely think so. Um, you know, my my whole life leading up to that point, everything was a was a stepping stone from one thing to the next thing to the next thing, and it was a, it was a matter of time until I crossed the pond, you know, so I, I definitely think that it was towards using what I was actually good at, what I actually cared about, and what I actually really enjoyed so, um, so absolutely
0: that being said, you came to the realization that you were doing the kind of thing that you should be doing. Um, tell me a little about the transition from the military to what you're doing now. Was that something that was just you retired or you finished your stint and went straight into this? What was that process?
1: Yeah, so, so I was in a very unique position in that I went to get out of the Navy three, four years before uh, I actually really got out. And I submitted my papers and I was done. There's almost nothing that could be done to reverse it. And I held a workshop, Um, long story short. uh, I I got appendicitis, showed up for work the next day. My boss kicked me out uh, after surgery because I was dumb and showed up to work. Um, And for those two weeks, I created a workshop of all of these golden nuggets that I had experienced from all these classes over time that I was using to transition from the military. It was the transition that gave me the knowledge of all of these little golden nuggets and, and gave a course on the third day of that course, a three-star Admiral showed up and asked me to work for him. And that led to the next three-star Admiral. And that led to uh, working for secretary Gertz and in that whole you know, pipeline, I got extended three different times in the Navy. So I was able to do what I'm doing now in the Navy for three and a half years, and was able to kind of use my corporate knowledge and C-suite type of workshops and off sites to help with high ranking, you know, officials and whatnot. And I was able to use those for the corporate and back and forth. So it was a, a mutually beneficial relationship. That was a mouthful. Sorry.
0: No, it's a mouthful, but it's a fascinating story because it was not as if you left the military and went cold turkey. What you're describing is you had a relatively long on-ramp that prepared you for the kind of work that you are doing. If you would describe the audiences that you were working with then to the audiences you're working with now, you mentioned that one of the first assignments you got that kind of gave you a sense, hmm, I may have a knack for this, is that you were assigned to deal with a topic that most people would view as very, very boring and that your audience would not be engaged. How would you compare and contrast a military audience with your clients nowadays?
1: Uh, well, I, people are people. And, and whether you are <laughs> a group of admirals or you're a group of C-suite executives or you are a high school football team uh, the dynamics of people in groups are, to me personally, the same. I mean, you, you know, some of the arguments are more mature, some of the knowledge is more in depth, but in the grand scheme of things, disagreements lead to the same things, agreements lead to the same things. And in a group dynamic, there's always somebody that either speaks too much or not enough, and you, you kind of have a mismatch or, you know, an imbalance. And as a facilitator, I, that's that's what I do is kind of even the playing field, make sure that everybody's comfortable and safe and you know has a voice. So I, I would say to me, it's, it's the same. Uh, I never had them wear uniforms when I did the workshops. In fact, I refused to do workshops in the military once I got good enough uh, where, hey, I won't do this unless everybody's in civilian clothes. So it's been the same to me. Um, the last thing that I would add is the buildings outside of military bases and the offsites for corporate are more interesting, beautiful, fun uh, than on a compound somewhere. So, <laughs> um, w-
0: without a doubt, I, I got to go back to that comment you made a moment ago, and that is when you got good enough, you could request that uniforms not be worn. That's not the military culture, is it? Oh no. You mean, you mean wearing, uh,
1: like st- sticking up for yourself in that way? Uh, well, or? in
0: part, the fact that you would request that I not wear a uniform as a presenter oh. and the people I'm presenting to not wear a uniform, did I hear that correct?
1: Yeah, so essentially, uh, in the very beginning, I did a, uh, what's called a, a limited objective experiment, which is we're not going to spend any more time, money, resources on seeing if this thing works. We're just going to test it and iterate off of it and, and see how it progresses with that iteration. And I did dozens and dozens and dozens of experiments on, let's do this for, let's put an enlisted person in with a group of officers. Let's put an officer in a group with a bunch of enlisted. Let's put a captain in front of a, in, with a, a group of master chiefs. Let's put a master chief in a group with a bunch of captains and see what happens. And the thing that I, the conclusion that I came to was the rank and the seniority that you have, regardless of rank, I guess, um, dictated how those groups acted and reacted to one another in a a setting. And I realized in order to get the most out of a group of people in any given setting is to have respect for the people that are to the left and the right of you. regardless of rank, seniority, background, et cetera. As long as you respect the, the setting that you're in and the people that you're next to, um, you're gonna be able to get to a, a better solution together than you would by yourself. So started doing it and it, uh, it worked.
0: So John, our listeners are leaders. In some cases, these are leaders who are in a senior leadership role and what you are acknowledging is sometimes, though leaders in the civilian world don't necessarily wear their rank on their shoulders, the fact that they're in the room can change the dynamic, if I'm hearing okay. that correctly.
1: Yeah, um, no question. Um, in fact, one of, I'd say, the top three or four questions that I get asked from anybody bringing me on is, should I attend or should my boss attend? and. The, the best answer is it depends. It absolutely depends on their personality. It depends on what you're attempting to accomplish. It depends on the, uh, the venue. I mean, it, there's so many different things that it depends on. And I have a different answer for almost every group. You know, sometimes I will take the absolute most senior person and I'll have them be part of the entire workshop. Sometimes I'll have them only come in in the very first hour and excuse me, and come back in the very last 30 minutes to an hour. It just depends. Uh, but you're, you're spot on. Just, just having that presence there, um, it's the same as being in a group of somebody that you know won't take no for an answer or always takes yes for an answer. You can steamroll uh, and you understand how that dynamic works where you're going to get your way. And so I'm not even going to try type of, type of thing. So you got to be careful about that too.
0: John, we've talked a little bit about the military experience you have, um, and I know you've been out in the military. How long have you been out?
1: Uh, I got out at the very, very end of February. So February 28th was my last workshop in the Navy.
0: So, Ken, let's talk about this transition into what you are doing now. Um, In terms of you kind of gave us a little bit of insight of how you might begin working with a client and a client would begin asking questions to include, should I be in the room? Should certain people be in the room? And you said there is no one pat answer. So that's given us a sense, though you're a master facilitator, it sounds as if no two presentations are exactly alike, regardless of the topic. And you've had an opportunity over your career to work with individuals and organizations that got stuck. Would you want to share an example of perhaps an organization that you were working with? You don't have necessarily mentioned the name, but an organization that got stuck and you were able to help them get unstuck.
1: Sure. Yeah. So there's a bunch. And, and maybe I'll be, like you said, a little vague so that uh, anybody listening in on this. It uh, doesn't say that I violated my uh, my NDA. So, um, yeah, I, I would give, actually, I'll give a, a category or two, if that's all right. That's perfect. As opposed to a specific example. So I personally, for, I'll start by this. I personally believe that in order to solve the next problem or iterate through the next strategy, you know, whatever requires people to treat people like people um it's it's pretty simple um culture comes before the strategy mm. so a million people can argue with me all day long that's fine sometimes you just need to get people in a room and make some decisions and that involves probably no culture uh or or backstop if you will of of culture to do that and yeah that's fine but for the long term strategies to play off it's it's about the culture and so the The thing that I have seen people get stuck on is uh, some people will ask for my agenda uh, ahead of time. And so I'll I'll do like an internal one where I see it. I'll do one that the, the client sees, and then I'll do one that the participants see where it's just whittled down into, I don't want you to know too much about what we're doing. Part of this is experiential. And anytime you put icebreaker or uh, cultural X, Y, or Z leading up to the, the strategy, they, the, the stuck ones, the ones that are almost always stuck, the first thing that they'll tell me is, hey, we don't need to do that icebreaker. We don't need to do that uh, scene setting. We want to get in and get our hands dirty right away. And, uh, and, then, and then I have the conversation. I say, well, hey, I think that you probably need more of it. Uh, you know, I, I probably throttled back some, um, and maybe did a 30% culture, 70% strategy type of thing. And with your response, and, and what I've known to be true, I probably need to give you a 40% or 50%. And, um, and so I've been running into stuff recently, where I disagree on the way ahead. And I say, Hey, look, I'm willing to do it your way. But you have to be willing to accept the fact that I'm not going to be able to give you what you want. You want a strategy that be able, that's able to uh, get the communication and collaboration in sync and lockstep with each other. There's buy-in, et cetera. I'm not going to be able to do that without attempting to tackle these things. So that was a very uh, vague answer on, on my part. There are obviously some other individual examples of that. Um, notably individuals that that stick for the entire, get the, get the whole organization stuck, where they think the, the path is X. So they try to lead the workshop towards that. And because they're in either a position of power or social power, they uh, take advantage of it. And that's, they're getting in their own way, really.
0: You know, John, you use a term just a moment ago, and that is either if they're in a position of power or social power and that that can influence um, outcomes and therefore what I'm hearing you describe is you said it's your sense that culture comes before strategy and that there are times you begin working with clients and they say, no, 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 let's get to work. Let's get this done. Let's get this done. Let's get this done. And you have found that if you are able to work through. I described you as a master facilitator that focuses on team building and on strategic planning. But to some extent, it sounds to me that the process that you like to follow with clients really no, no matter what brings you in, it sounds as if you are attempting to do that very thing. Team building from a cultural standpoint, strategic planning, meaning what are we going to do going forward? Is that an accurate read? Absolutely. And I think
1: it's a, various uh degrees of of either or some teams are have brilliant minds and they somehow put the cultural piece to the side and they treat each other like uh they'd want to be treated type of thing i know it sounds very silly but um they can do uh lock yourself in a room and solve some problems very quickly and then get back to being friends and having beers types of thing, not that you have to in order to have a good culture. Um, And then there are others that, um, there's other ends of the spectrum where you are so broken that you have to do just the team building. You, You have to focus entirely on the team building to fix what's broken because it will ultimately lead to this domino effect of the next thing and the next thing and the next thing that progress your your institution forward. So
0: yeah, it's both. You know, you describe, um, and I know you had to keep it a bit generic, but situations where you s- sense that an organization uh, had gotten stuck, and the the way you engage with them to kind of help them um, get unstuck. May I ask that more on a personal level? Yeah. When you were in the military, and you made the decision. It's my time to move on, and you weren't afforded that opportunity. Did you feel stuck in that situation initially?
1: Uh, uh, absolutely, and scared and petrified. And, uh, you know, basically, from my, from my standpoint, you're taking care of a family, you have a reputation that you don't want to let your coworkers down and your friends down. You don't want to feel embarrassed uh, with your family and friends that you weren't able to do what you set out to do. So you're in a position of vulnerability where any decision that you make can be compounded in the wrong way or the right way. And I don't know if you've heard this from, from other folks, but the hardest place to ever make any kind of decision that's worthwhile is when you are stuck it is you you either don't have the resources you don't have the social uh, capital you don't have i mean there's a million different things that add up to why it might not be the best decision to move on and so if you are just comfortable enough which i was and uh, to answer your question i was uh, hey i'm at 11 years in the navy i mean at the time i guess i was seven eight And uh, you're like, well, hey, everybody's telling me another 10, another 11 years, and you're done, and you get a retirement and all this stuff. It's like the easy thing to do almost in their head. And you're like, I don't want to do that. How do I, how do you get out of this? And I got lucky. I really did. Um, I was afforded the opportunity to stay in, build my craft as I went through, but not everybody is as fortunate to uh, to have that long ramp, like you said earlier. Um, so I, I was very, very stuck in that. And I got a lot of advice from a lot of different people and kind of um, took the hodgepodge of all of them and strung together my own, my own rules of, of what to do and, and where to go.
0: John, you said you get a lot of advice from a lot of people. I read into the way you said that, that you sought... Salt- the advice from others
1: absolutely yes
0: um and did you know that you could influence the advice you got by who you asked
1: Oh, that's a really really good question yeah um and i would say i don't know if, I'm, i don't know if i'll be able to articulate this very well but the early advice that i got where i was trying to get maybe softballs for myself to your point, right? Influencing my own advice on the way back that led to the getting and seeking more blunt, transparent advice from people that didn't really know me truly. And that's hard when you're, when somebody knows you really well, they can fill in the gaps of what you're saying to make you actually make sense. And then you're talking to somebody else that says, I have no clue what you do. (laughs) Oh, well, damn. I didn't, you know, sorry. Uh, well, what should I do about it? And, well, you need to do this, this, and this, and read this stuff, and practice, and iterate, and call me back next week. Like, oh, okay. So, yes, I, I initially sought to maybe uh, answer my own questions through other people's words, really.
0: I'm trying to remind myself that we have listeners listening in who are leaders, Um, or in a variety of roles as leaders. Sometimes as leaders, your only feedback you get are from the folks that you lead. And if that is the only source of feedback you get, that could very well be uh, biased feedback. And so I applaud what you did. Do you find yourself still doing the same thing, seeking feedback from folks on you, your career progression, perhaps even on a more personal level.
1: Yeah, and in fact, this is uh, this is part of, I guess, eating your own dog food type of thing. In, in my workshops, I get people to, you know, sometimes you need to think inside the box because everybody's thinking outside the box. You, you, you need to have a shift in mindset in where you get your ideas from and how you implement them and all of these different things. So uh, I attempt to get advice that, does not agree with other advice. So it's not necessarily the outcome I want. It's not necessarily the tough love that I'm looking for. It is a range of you should do this. Well, if I'm listening to somebody that's been in the same career for 30 years that thinks that you need to do X, Y, and Z, if you ask them the question, is that what you did, probably nine times out of 10, it's going to be, yes, that's what I did. And that's why I'm successful. And that's why I had a good, you know, a good run at things. Well, you want to talk to somebody also, you know, after talking to that person that's been in something for a year and has experienced X, Y, and Z. And, you know, you can ask questions differently. You get different responses from people. The person that's been there for 30 years can't go and ask a question. Well, what does this mean? Because if you've been there for 30 years, chances are you, you have to know that. If you're new to it, you can ask any question you want and nobody expects you to know anything. And so maybe you can, your, your learning curve is there's a new technology or a new resource that you can use or leverage to make that better. So I kind of take this hodgepodge of advice, piece it together and uh, come up with my own, my own path.
0: I want to go back a moment to something you said earlier and that is when you're working with clients and the focus is on strategic planning and if they come to the realization that they as an organization are stuck, do you find that just the sense of being stuck tends to mean that there's a feeling that they're kind of walled off and therefore if they are walled off, might they feel even more in a box and your challenge to them as an organization, your challenge to individuals is if you feel stuck, you're stuck in a box, you're going to have to use out of box thinking and out of box doing to get unstuck. Is that a fair summary yep. of what you just said okay uh,
1: yeah I, I definitely think so uh, and and like anything else there's a spectrum there are there are people that want to to do workshops in order to prove to the rest of the people that their way was the right way or that their way was the wrong way mm. uh, and so you got to sniff that out in in discovery calls and whatnot to see you know what's the motive here the motive is not always let's get better, which sounds ridiculous, but you would be surprised.
0: John, I have gotten to know you as someone who knows his craft, who has a, a knack for understanding the clients that you may be working with, or in fact, working with. But I also have kind of seen a more um, fun side to you. Um, do you try to incorporate fun into what is it you do with clients? 100%. Yes. Okay.
1: I I uh I mean you you might not see this now. I mean I'm sitting at a desk right. I have some more room back here so now I can do some cartwheels and uh some fun stuff back there but I I think that that is um if culture culture is to strategy as fun is to culture in my opinion. So being able to laugh, smile, joke, play, I mean that is human nature to enjoy your time with with people. Um, And that enjoyment brings trust, that trust brings transparency, that transparency leads to, you know, the strategy type of thing, right? I'm I'm obviously cutting off some things there, but um, I laugh at my own jokes, Uh, whether they are just miserable, or actually funny, it doesn't matter either way. Um, I've always believed that the facilitator should have a vulnerable side to them and the humor is, is mine. Um, I'm, I'm going to laugh, joke, play, et cetera. You got to realize that all of it has a purpose in what you're attempting to accomplish. So if I'm sitting in a, you know, a a very serious conversation, the only way that I'll use humor is to stop somebody from ruining it for everyone else or Mm. talking over everyone else or give somebody a chance to speak that hasn't spoken yet. Um, so there's, there's, pieces and parts to use it for the greater good.
0: John, I was about to reach for a piece of paper, write what you said down. And I think what I understood you to say is, culture leads to strategy, but fun can heavily influence culture. Is it something along those, yeah. those lines? Yep. Um, you also said something else that struck me, and that is, to be effective as a facilitator, you recognize that you have to be vulnerable. And it sounds as if by extension, you're challenging the folks you're working with to also be vulnerable.
1: Absolutely, no question. And
0: today's business client, you know, the the way we operate right now, vulnerability is, is sometimes construed as a weakness. How do you counter that? Vulnerability, is it a weakness? And if it is why? If it's not, why not?
1: Yeah, uh, I would say you can argue both. I could definitely argue uh, both, but I would say, used in the right, uh, in the right space for the right outcome that you're looking for, it is absolutely the tool. Um, but you can't just turn it on and off like a light switch. You can't can't be this person that is closed off from the rest of the group and strong arms, everybody, and then be vulnerable and expect people to care. Um, it is, like I said before, people are people. Um, if, if you have this uh, thing about you leading up to the, the vulnerability where people actually stop, pause, listen, actively listen to what you have to say, uh, it's going to create a momentum. It's going to allow them to be vulnerable and open up. And when there's no more judgment from, from the group, when that happens, more people will will join in. And when nobody gets reprimanded for speaking their, um, their piece, then the person that would never dream of saying something comes out of the woodwork and says something that is incredibly profound that everybody goes, wow, why didn't we think of that? Why didn't we do that? And going from, I've always said this, going from the crappiest of ideas to the to the bad ones, to the okay ones, to the good ones, to the great ones. That iteration and uh, flow of ideas and thoughts and whatnot is the same for vulnerability, I think. It's, it's, a, um, it's a building block to get to the next thing uh, with your group and, and huge, I think, very important.
0: John, we have packed a great deal in a relatively small amount of time but I wanted our listeners to get a sense of kind of who you are. Um, And we're recording this at eight o'clock in the morning. I don't know. I've been up for a while, John, you've been up for a while, but um, you were on this morning. And if folks want to connect with you online, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: LinkedIn is my go-to for sure.
0: And so, and it would be this John Holly, H-A-W-L-E-Y.
1: That's right. It's uh. The, the whole thing is my I have a, my middle name is long. It's John Wakefield Holly, um, but I, I, can, uh, I can send you the link so you can put it in there. I don't want to spell the whole thing out. I, I purposely make my email my whole name. So you really actually have to want to reach out to me to reach out to me.
0: Um, yeah. I suspect, though, those folks listening to this podcast afterwards will want to reach out to John Wakefield Holly. Um, So again, I want to thank you for your time uh, with us today, and your willingness to kind of share your insights. And as we kind of want to wrap things up, I want to thank the folks who've joined us for this episode of Get Unstuck and On Target. We've lined up great guests, just like John, that I'm confident you'll enjoy to get to know. And we upload the latest episode every Thursday. So we hope that you'll subscribe to this podcast and not only subscribe, invite your fellow leaders to do the same. The easiest way to subscribe is to go to your browser and type unstuck.show. Again, unstuck.show, or you can go to our website, bench-builders.com. I want to thank you for joining us. I hope you've picked up some tips that will help you get unstuck and on target. Until next time.